0: You're listening to Learning Capacity with Colin Klubik. This podcast is brought to you by LearnFast. If you'd like to know more about LearnFast, visit learnfasthome.com.au. NAPLAN often conjures up awful thoughts about standardised testing in schools that become the subject of controversy and debate. But regardless of what you might think of NAPLAN, recent research by the Grattan Institute indicates that there is a widening gap of achievement in our schools. Whilst rising gain scores and charts that generally appear to show upward trends in results look convincing, Grattan Institute's new model of interpreting data, called Years of Progress, tells a different story. In some cases, the spread of achievement between students in Year 9 can be as much as 7 years. The findings have been described as alarming. I visited the Grattan Institute to speak with Dr Peter Goss, one of the authors of the report, about the findings and the implications for Australian education. Given the nature of this sensitive topic, this interview will stretch over two episodes. Be sure to catch part two, episode 57, where we discuss the effects of disadvantage on NAPLAN results. Peter, thanks for joining us again.
1: Colin, thanks for inviting me and uh, glad you could come visit us at Grattan.
0: Oh, look, it's a real pleasure to be here at Grattan in Melbourne. I always love coming to Melbourne. Any excuse will do. And we've turned
1: on a sunny day for you. You have
0: indeed. We're here to talk about your latest report, Widening Gaps with respect to NAPLAN. And if I can put it simply like this, there are two major areas that the report talks about, and that is that there's uh, an enormous spread in student achievement, at least as is reported by NAPLAN. Yes. And then there's the effect of disadvantage. Yes. And we'll talk more about what kinds of disadvantage there are in a moment, whether it's either the school or whether it's the student themselves. So first of all, let's just talk about the spread of achievement. Let me start with something reasonably controversial. Many people look at NAPLAN and go, ah, yeah, NAPLAN will, will suffer through it, but yeah, we do it, we get good results, but actually it's more like one of those standardised tests that you might see overseas and they're awful. Now, in your report though, you talk about findings that seem to indicate widening gaps, hence the, the title of the report in, in student achievement. And to give us some perspective, what sort of gap are we talking about and how, how wide is that?
1: So first up, in terms of NAPLAN, having a standardised test like we do, I think we're actually fortunate as a nation to have a mirror effectively that reflects back how well we're doing that we can compare against and we need to take that into account. In terms of the what we see in this mirror, when we, when we correct the mirror, because the, the results that we get from NAPLAN are quite tricky to interpret, but when we translate it into what we call equivalent years of learning, then we see some patterns about these widening gaps. In year three, the bulk of students from about the, the bottom 20th percentile of students to about the top 20th percentile of students is spread across just over two and a half years worth of learning. So that means that those top students might be working at a year four and a bit level, and the bottom students are working closer to a year two level. Mm-hmm. That's a big spread already. Yeah, I was just going to say, already, that's quite a um, And then their question is that, does school actually function to close those gaps, which is something that we would hope that if a student is behind in their reading or behind in their mathematics, that the teacher picks it up, identifies those gaps, helps the student close them? Or do the gaps increase? And the clear finding from our report was that they increase on average as students go through school. By year nine, the top 20% of students are about five and a half years ahead of the bottom 20% of students. And if we were to look at the top 10 and bottom 10% of students, the gap would be wider again. Now, these are really enormous gaps, not only in terms of what the students know and can do, but in also how well they'll set them up for life as they finish school and move beyond.
0: So So, I guess... One way to look at it is that you, you might see a school that has different year levels. It's got year three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And you might think of those different cohorts as students in unique stages of their learning. But if you if you were to take a helicopter view and sort of zoom out a little bit, well, it's all just kind of mixed because of the differences in, in achievement levels across all of the years.
1: It's very mixed. So some students who are in year three, their innate reading capabilities means that they might do Um, that they've got the same level of skill as some struggling students in Year 7. That doesn't mean they should be put in a Year 7 class because different things are expected and also there's a different content. You would read different types of books. But in terms of their ability to be able to understand a text and respond to it, then actually we should be expecting a lot more from some students and then for students who are struggling we need to recognise what they can actually do today and not try to expect them to do, to close the gap in one bound, but to close the gap step by step. Mm.
0: Now, your report talks about a different way of measuring progress, which I'll come to in a minute, but it also makes the comment that there's there's no way that a student can catch up just by doing more of what they do at school and that you, you talk about the rate of learning needs to accelerate. There's also a comment that seems to suggest that there's uh, an inbuilt stagnation or a problem that's entrenched in the system. Can you elaborate on that?
1: So, firstly, it's absolutely possible for many students to catch up and accelerate their rate of learning. The only way that's going to realistically happen if teacher, is if teachers identify what they know now and what they don't know and teach them that next piece. Um, I'll give you a little bit of a story on that and then we can explain why there's an, this is hard. Sure. A year four student in writing that a teacher was telling me about was a couple of years behind in her writing and the teacher had been struggling to get her to improve. The teacher took what's called a learning continuum, and I talked about these in my last report, mm-hmm. and asked the little girl, well, what can you do now? And she knew exactly what she could do. And instead of saying, well, here are the six steps that you need to jump, she said, well, let's just focus on what the next thing is. At the moment, you can mostly write one sentence well. Instead of asking you to write three paragraphs, tomorrow let's focus on writing two sentences or three sentences and then building from there. And in a term, that little girl made a year's worth of progress. And not only that not only caught up in her learning but got an amazing life experience of saying actually when you put one step in front of the other that's going to take you a long way so catch up is possible the flip side is that if you have students who are two or more years behind and the teacher is not taking any account of that then that girl is going to be struggling to write two or three sentences but is going to be told, write three or four paragraphs. Yeah. And she's going to fail at that. She's going to feel terrible. She's not going to be learning the things that the other people in the class would be learning. And next year, she will have only moved a little way forward, whereas her classmates will have moved further forward. And so unless something is different is done, she will fall further and further out the back. Yeah. So it's not inevitable, but we're never going to close it without recognising and supporting each student. Are we talking about interventions
0: now, as in direct interventions? Or, I mean, I'm just trying to think about how a teacher might... I mean, the word that is used is differentiate. Indeed. But but on that scale, we're talking about massive differentiation for for every single student. It's very difficult, I think, in practical terms. But what you're suggesting is intervention and a differentiated approach and somehow trying to make that work.
1: That's right. So starting the differentiation from the very first week of primary school, that's one of the recommendations in the report, yeah. particularly in disadvantaged areas where people are more likely to have fundamental gaps or when, even when they get to school, not be as ready mm. to, uh, to thrive when they're at school. Um, starting to identify what each student knows now and getting each student to spend as much time as possible focusing on an achievable task that moves them forward whereas uh, that little girl if she'd been asked to write three or four paragraphs that's not an achievable task that's not a good learning experience so the first universal level is targeting teaching for all students when you have students who have highly specific learning needs or difficulties or have missed a fundamental gap or are many years behind that's when we bring in extra support. But if we can help differentiate the teaching from early on in primary school, we should have fewer students falling way out the back. Mm. And those that have genuine learning difficulties, um, we should be able to focus our resources more precisely on them.
0: Some people might suggest though, that if there are these uh, students who, who aren't progressing at the same rate, if I can put it as colloquial as this, uh, can't they just repeat another year and your report <laughs> makes comment about that and yes. i would i would guess that almost anybody listening to this conversation would say i know someone who's repeated a year perhaps they have themselves but your report suggests that that's not a good way to go
1: can you talk us through that that's absolutely right it's not that repeating a year should never happen there are there may be specific circumstances but repeating a year is happening too often in australia The reason I say too often is because the research evidence is very clear that it is ineffective. Most students who repeat a year don't progress and catch up. In fact, their learning goes backwards relative Mm -hmm. to their peers. And part of the explanation for that seems to be that if you didn't learn it the first time around and you go back into a class and get exposed to the same material in the same way, why are you going to learn it the next time around? And you're also stigmatised because yeah, yeah. colloquially you're the dumb kid who had to repeat a year. Yeah, that's right. There are ways around this. Why do I? The second part of too much is the statistics say that one in 12 Australian students will repeat a year at some point of their career. Whereas in the UK, it's only one third as much as that. Okay. Um, I haven't had the chance to really look into where this is happening, but that, that costs a lot of money because that's an extra year's worth of school, for something that is ineffective, we should be aiming to reduce the amount of that, the the amount of kids held back a year, and redirecting that funding to help make sure they learnt it well the first time.
0: I guess the repeating a year thing also relates back to the entrenched failure from year to year, because if we accept that repeating is kind of okay, in spite of what the evidence says, then we're just well, we're not really doing anything to try and stop that entrenchment. so
1: It's not clear how this plays out in Australia. In the US, it's crystal clear. There's been a lot of work that's done on it, and African-American students dramatically uh, more often repeat a year up to, in some places, up to one in three. Um, And so there it absolutely is entrenching the disadvantage. So I hope we don't go down that path. Well, I hope so
0: too. More from my discussion with Peter coming up in a moment, including where we talk about Grattan's new way of measuring student progress. You can subscribe to this podcast for free. You can search for Learning Capacity on iTunes, or you can visit soundcloud.com learnfast. You can listen online, or you can download the apps for your Apple or Android device. Once again, that's Learning Capacity on iTunes, or you can find us at soundcloud.com learnfast. Let's now take a look at what your report is uh, talking about with a new way to compare student progress. So anyone who's ever looked at uh, NAPLAN numbers and not just the certificates that the students get will probably say, okay guys what's the problem? I see lines that go up and I also see lines that suggest that the the students at the bottom end are also making improvements as well as the students at the top end, and that in in some cases the lines seem to narrow. So is that a problem? Now, your, your report seems to suggest that just looking at that could be a little bit misleading. Can you talk us through your new measure for progress?
1: Absolutely. So as I said, I think we're fortunate to have NAPLAN as a test. The things that it's measuring are real and they predict important things that happen later on. But it's been known since NAPLAN started that students in earlier years in school tend to gain more points than students in later years of school. It goes further. If you're in year three and you're a low performer in year three, you tend to gain a lot of points on average, whereas if you're a high performer in year three, you tend to gain fewer points. observably across the state, in all different states and all different groups of students that we looked at, the lower you start in NAPLAN points, the faster you're moving. And imagine a cycling analogy. It's a little bit like you are cycling up an increasingly steep hill where when you're on the flat, you're moving fast, but the further ahead you get, the steeper the hill gets and the more you slow down. That's fine. That's Mm. what's being measured. But that property of Naplan, it's not the only test that has it, but that property of Naplan makes it really hard to compare different groups of students. And let me continue the cycling analogy. Imagine that I went out riding with Cadell Evans, who's a world champion rider.
0: I can imagine it very well actually, not that I know Cadell Evans, but I'm a cyclist, so I'm hearing you. Fantastic. I'm with you.
1: Um, Even if I went out riding with you on this course that starts on the flat and uh, goes (laughs) upwards, then you or Cadell would shoot off ahead of me. Um, And that's fine. Um, And then at some point, if we took a snapshot of how fast we were each riding, Cadell, who would be riding up the hill, might be doing 15 kilometres an hour. I'm still mostly on the flat. Mm. I might be doing 30 kilometres an hour. Now, on the Speedos, as a matter of fact, I am riding faster than Cadell Evans in this scenario. But that's not really the question that I want to know. What I want to know is, am I riding better than Cadell Evans? And the answer is clearly no, because when I get to the hill, I'll be doing 10. When he was on the flat, he was doing 45. And unless we find a way of comparing how fast we were riding over the same part of the course, then we can't do the types of comparisons we want to. Because in that case, again, I will never catch up to Cadell even though I'm riding faster, I will never get to him because as I get onto the hill, I will always be going slower than he was at that point. So let's take this back to NAPLAN. NAPLAN, you gain a lot of points from a low base and then that slows down. What we have done is to correct for that curve and we've translated it into a measure that is actually very intuitive, which we call the equivalent year of learning. Mm -hmm. So... For year three, the equivalent year level of learning for year three is what the national average student got in year three. Yeah. To be precise, we use the median and there's some technical reasons for that. Mm -hmm. And likewise in year five, in year seven and year nine. And then in between those points, we can estimate what a typical student would have got had they sat the NAPLAN test at year six or at year six and six months. And we can also go beyond and below, below year three and above year nine. And a way to think about that is that if in year nine, the average student scores 585, I think that's what they do in numeracy. Mm-hmm. Actually, there's a bunch of students who in year seven scored 585 in numeracy. They were already on that part of the course and we can see how much they progressed in the next two years. Right, okay. So we can estimate yes. what the typical student might get if they, got, if they continued learning in the same way to year 11. Once we've done this now we can translate any NAPLAN score into an equivalent year of learning and then we can say that you know let's say that you and I were taking the mathematics tests we both took them in Year 5. You might be at equivalent year level of learning of Year 5 and 5 months. I might be at equivalent year level of learning of Year 5 and 1 month. And then we, when we track later, we can actually meaningfully compare the difference. You know, In this example, I was 4 months behind you in Year 5. Later on, we can see, am I less than 4 months behind or more than 4 months behind, and get a new and clearer view of whether i've caught up
0: so instead of just looking at a, at a number like a gain score yeah we can then start to think about it in terms of well how far along the track am i which is a much more i guess you use the word intuitive but it's i guess it's a realistic way that people can sort of look at their own progress and i think i think i mean to be fair when you do a test at school you get a mark Yes. And you get a percentage. And one of the things that I've found, particularly when I've been in the classroom and administered tests and then given the results back, is the first thing that that students do is they go for their calculators. Yes. And they work out the percentage. Yep. And they only want to know what the number is, but they don't necessarily want to think about what that number represents relative to the last time they did something of a similar nature. And what your report is suggesting is that this new way of looking at NAPLAN results gives us a better way of saying, okay, that particular student is performing at this particular year level and has made this kind of progress, which we can more easily understand.
1: That's right. And the again, the only way that students are going to catch up is by making faster relative progress. And this is where the nature of the curve can lead to some potentially misleading interpretations if we're not careful. And I'll give if a, a bit of a crazy example. It's a real one. But if I took some of the most disadvantaged students in Australia, those students who were um, low achievers in year three with parents who didn't have a high level of education, and some of the most advantaged students in Australia, those who did well in year three and had high levels of education, because of the curve and because you slow down the further up you go, NAPLAN would suggest that the first group, the low achievers with poorly educated parents, make higher NAPLAN gain scores than the more advantaged kids. Now, that would be lovely if it's true, Mm. but that goes against a wealth of research that says if you've got the advantage of parental education, you're going to learn faster, and if you did well early on, you're going to learn faster. And and so the property of the curve makes it very hard to interpret. When we put that in, in our equivalent years of learning, we find something that actually resonates far more yeah, well, I guess... which is that the bright kids with highly educated parents are learning at a faster rate.
0: Yeah, and I think, as I said before, I think curves are always nice to look at on charts because if you, <laughs> if you see an upward-facing or an upward-trending line, you go, oh, what's wrong with that? Now, just to also come back to emphasise exactly how wide this is, and I'm, I'm going to use this to, to preface an, another question, and I'm actually going to have to read this out because it's it's staggering. You want to get the numbers right. The report claims that by year nine, the top 10% of students could be as much as eight years ahead of the bottom 10% of students in any yes. given class. Eight years.
1: Eight. Two parts. Across the population, eight years. Within any given class, within any given school, seven years. Seven years. Okay. Because each school has a subset of... The sure. population. Seven years is still standard. I was just going to say, let's, <laughs>
0: let's call it seven years, all right? Seven years is still a lot. I mean, you, if you think about it, seven years is more than high school. Yes. High school is six years, okay? So someone might say, well, all right, guys, you're really off on a wild tangent here. Clearly, there's something either wrong with your methodology or maybe NAPLAN, which we never really liked in the first place, has got problems, but you're suggesting that we actually stick with NAPLAN. Yes. Why is that?
1: NAPLAN has had a lot of work to put in to have a really good underlying uh, um, progression of skill so that if you score 500 and someone else scores 510, someone else scores 520, then on average they, they are doing better in, in that order. So it's a robust test. Secondly, it's done nationally. Mm. Um, the third reason is that this really wide gap is not just a feature of the NAPLAN test and the way that we've interpreted it. There are other tests out there that look at what are the specific skills that would we expect in different years. Mm. And one that I quoted in a previous report looks at that for multiplicative thinking. And in year eight, it will show that some students have got all of the concepts that are required in year eight. And it will show that some students are still struggling with a concept in year one. Now, that's not a measurement on a test. That's saying, can you perform the skill that is required? So there are independent ways of verifying that the gap really is this large. Yeah. NAPLAN gives us an unparalleled opportunity to understand these patterns across a system. We have to be careful about how we apply them, but we need to know what's happening.
0: And we're quite lucky in Australia because we're one of the few countries that has a test like this, a national test. Is yes. that right?
1: Yes, and one that is done across multiple year levels, three, five, seven and nine, and marked on the same scale so that we can actually look at the progression of students.
0: Just before we talk about the effects of disadvantage, which I think is a very significant thing to talk about, your report also suggests that national minimum standards are way too low and that we could therefore be seeing, in effect, an overlap. In other words, some students who appear to be okay are actually performing below minimum standard and we either therefore raise the standard or get rid of them altogether. If we were to remove minimum standards, does that make measuring progress harder?
1: No, it doesn't. So two points, what did we see? And then what, what should we do? What we saw is that a year nine student who is just above the cut, from the cut point, their score for the national minimum standard is performing considerably below the average year five student. In reading, it's slightly worse. It's about a year, four and a half standard. Sta- that's a staggering number. That's astonishing. It? So when we report nationally, and we do, that ninety something percent of Australian students are reading above the national, at or above the national minimum standard. We're actually saying ninety something percent of students are no more than four and a bit years behind the average of their peers. Yeah. So it's so not good
0: enough. No, making the test easy makes everyone look okay.
1: If you set the bar too low, it's hard to aim high. Year, reading at a year four and a half level, coincidentally, that means you haven't fully made the transition from learning to read to reading to learn. Yes. And you, in order to succeed in high school, you've got to be reading in order to learn other things, and not just learning to read.
0: That's a critical tipping point, really, isn't it?
1: Yeah, at about that year four or five level, it is a critical tipping point. So it's set exceptionally low... And if we're only identifying that as the problem area, then I think we're giving ourselves false comfort and not supporting students who need it. What should we do about it? ACARA, to their credit, has recognised that it's set very low. When they move to online NAPLAN, they're going to bring in two higher standards, a proficiency standard, um, what we would hope students get to, and a competency standard of what a stronger student will show. We are 100% supportive of those measures, but the idea of national minimum standards has stuck and accepting that some students can be four four years behind and still above the threshold Mm. is unhelpful. Either it needs to get raised or it should get dropped when we have the other standards in place.
0: You've been listening to Learning Capacity, brought to you by LearnFast. If you'd like to know more about the Widening Gaps report by the Grattan Institute, or if you'd like to read it, you can download it for free from grattan.edu.au. And be sure to check out episode 57, where we continue the discussion and find out how disadvantage affects NAPLAN results. I'm Colin Klupik. Until next time, bye for now.